0: Welcome back to In My Shoes, a podcast about different perspectives on shared experiences across the University of Michigan campus. My name is Rebecca Fantone, the host of this podcast. Today we're switching it up a bit. We'll still be hearing from Desi and Sam, two undergraduates who are part of the LGBTQ plus community and their experiences on code switching. However, I will be kind of guiding you through the conversation. So let's get started.
1: My name is Sam. I'm a sophomore at the University of Michigan studying classical studies in philosophy. Uh, I'm gay. Uh, I grew up uh, uh, low income and I have a twin who's, who's gay too. Yeah.
2: Hi, I'm Desi DeKova. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan. I'm studying chemistry and physics. I also grew up low income and I'm an asexual cisgender woman.
0: They start their conversation by discussing how code switching can be necessary, both for survival and for altering how you present yourself to succeed. You'll notice that this is a common recurring theme that we're finding throughout these episodes.
2: I think, I think that's really interesting. Like, To what extent is it code switching for survival, for fitting into the situation, versus just completely being uncomfortable with yourself and like changing everything about yourself to f- like make it through that situation like
1: like i know that like n- not being able to walk inside an environment that i like need to and then like doing much of work in and like not being able to succeed in these environments is like detrimental to like my future and like what i want to be able to like accomplish so it's like as uncomfortable as it may be to change who I am, what would be more uncomfortable is not being able to get the work done that I want to get done. Does that that make sense? It's like a give and take.
2: Yeah, I, I think that ties into does code switching help or hinder diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because, like, to what extent can we ask people to fit into some sort of rigid model of what their, like, goals and, like, ambitions are versus do we need to bring in that diversity and make some changes to what we how we define those models
1: so I I mean I, I, I I'd say my answer is a little bit more cynical but like I, I I think it does in a way that's bad okay, so like in CSG it's a it's all a bunch of like very wealthy affluent people and they don't care about poor people and they've never like done any policies that help poor people and I feel like I've been like the only member helping like other Low-income students on campus, like knowing what, knowing like their some of what their experience is, and like my code switching allows me. Code switching would allow me to be in that and then help the equity and inclusion on campus via CSG. Um, the prob, the the problem is that like wealthy people of power are never gonna or not gonna include you unless like they want to be around you and like non-people, like Mojang's communities need to be included so that they can have a say in the policies and be affected and they can grow. And I think code switching is necessary for that. So, like, it's a problematically it's necessary. Does, does that make sense?
2: That, that definitely makes sense. Like, I definitely experienced that as a woman, as... A low-income student like i definitely want to be very agreeable and i want to fit in and i want to be wanted and i don't want to give anyone any reason to not like me or f- like to extrapolate like oh because she's acting this way like all low-income st- people are like this or all lgbt people are like this like i, I definitely feel like i'm representing the community and need to yeah. put my best foot forward yeah which can be
0: problematic, and it can take away from some part of myself. Yeah. In the next part of their conversation, Sam asked Desi about code-switching as an asexual woman within the queer community. Asexual, as defined by the Human Rights Campaign, is the lack of sexual attraction or desire for other people. Desi comments that this identity would be considered invisible and in how she tries to otherize herself, to be seen as visible within the queer community.
1: Have you noticed any code switching um, like along those lines or like within the, the asexual community?
2: Yeah, so I know with the LGBT community, there is some gatekeeping in terms of are asexual or aromantic people LGBT? Should they get the same resources? Um, and a lot of those arguments stem in, well, you're straight passing or you don't need gay marriage like there's not really different resources you need um which i think is completely unfair like the definition of lgbt is non-heterosexual and non-cisgender non-heteromantic um so definitely i think i can't get mad about it i can't get mad and tell all lgbt people that they're you know that they have certain privileges that um
1: have you ever, like, given that, like, gatekeeping that happens and, like, not being included in the LGBT community, have you ever, like, noticed that you might become more gay, like, when you're around them in order to be accepted?
2: Yes, uh, definitely. I, I think I try my hardest to look as gay as possible. <laughs> I, like, shave my head. I... um I just tried to look as queer as possible, and yeah, I think to an extent, it definitely makes me, I definitely feel like I need to justify my presence, because a, a lot of people say like, oh, well, asexual people are LGBT if they're also gay, which I think is unfair, but I definitely feel like I have to fit in that way. Yeah. Um, I'm to, I am to. I pan-romantic, but I also think it's really important to acknowledge that you know, asexual people who are aromantic or romantic are still LGBT. yeah but I, d- I definitely try to look um, as gay as possible.
1: I think yeah I I've noticed I'll become much more gay when I'm around straight Swiss, uh, cis women because they like love gay people mm-hmm. so like I I like am not like like I think there's a lot of tendencies that, they, that I, I I don't have like stereotypical tendencies but I do adopt them when I'm around them because they like think it's like, super cool and cute and funny. Uh, so like I'll become much more gay when I'm, around. but then when I'm with gay men, I become much more like mask because like in the gay community, like it's like mask is like the, is like the idea a level of attraction. So like gay gay men like want to be around that, which is funny because one would think it'd be the opposite that like the more when we're around straight people, I'm more gay but I'm gay people I'm more straight but I think that's, that's that that's common with a lot of like other gay men I know.
2: Yeah, I I definitely I think the one thing I try the most is reclaiming my femininity so trying to develop some sort of like non-consumable femininity in particular like femininity that isn't appealing to uh, cisgender straight men. And in that like I definitely struggle with that a lot like I want to feel Beautiful and attractive, but I don't want to look consumable. Yeah. Um, so that's something I struggle with a lot, and I think my work around to it has been being very like butch and queer. Um, but yeah, I definitely struggle with that because I still. Th-
1: Are you comfortable with that, like solution?
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's my solution is looking non-consumable to cisgender straight men, but still being queer and finding beauty in that like you know like when you see clothing that's like very hideous but like there's something beautiful about it i think that's what i'm trying to like accomplish with that the biggest thing though i see as an asexual person is um other people with their like significant others um and so i worry a lot one of my like biggest insecurities is that i won't have a partner and as a result, I will look like there's something wrong with me. Like, if everyone at my age has a partner and, like, professionally it's socially acceptable to bring your spouse or it looks kind of weird if you don't bring a spouse or significant other, uh, that's something I worry about a lot. I think the issue, though, with asexuality is that it is an invisible identity, so I would need to if someone asked me like why don't you have a partner implies that like i would need to come out to justify that
1: would you consider like adopting uh um, like a more gay identity code switching in like a a straight setting
2: yeah 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 um so if i'm if no one kind of prompts me and asks for my like True identity, then in a more gay setting, I'll probably say that I'm like bisexual or something um, just to kind of communicate that. Um, or I'll just say queer, which is a good blanket term <laughs> that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, because it, I definitely find it easier to. I think like bisexuality is definitely a little more accepted, especially in women. It's not really in men. Um, but I think bisexuality is definitely more accepted, so that's the term I would use if I'm unprompted.
1: So would, would you consider that code-switching?
2: Yeah, I would definitely consider that code-switching to claim to be a different identity than my true one. And I think identities are fluid and there aren't rigid definitions of them, but being true to myself, like if someone asked me my identity, I would share that I'm asexual and panromantic. Um, but yeah, that that just goes a lot into my like vulnerabilities and insecurities, so I'd be a little less willing to share that like professionally in a straight environment. Yeah.
1: I think just like the more I think about it, the more I've had conversations with it, the more we're having conversation. And it's just how like wide it actually is. That it's much more it, it's a much more, more like wide thing. I don't know if it's like it's just like a human experience rather than just like a these identities experience. I think it's often framed as like a, the, like if you're if you're gay, you code switch. If you're a person of color, you code switch. But I don't I don't I don't know. I think some of the, like a lot of the code switching I do is not tied to my identity.
2: Yeah, I think I think code switching is is very human. Yeah. to fit into different yeah places. Like when when you first meet people, you act a little different than when you can unleash your oh, yeah. personal self. No one wants to see hundred percent Sam.
1: I've never felt the need to code switch, like I think you 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 said you have. Yeah. For me, it's not like like my gay identity has never it's never been the case where I cannot exist in an environment if I don't become more gay or less gay based on what I want. It's a choice. why well, on the flip side, though, I say like I where I have needed to code switch. On like how I communicate around like wealthy white people who grew up where everyone was just super nice to each other, mm-hmm. um, and like not saying what I think because like I, in CSG I've said like like none of you care about like I, I like there was one policy that was just like terrible for poor people and no one was saying anything and someone was like that doesn't matter because th- this is more important and like I went off on them and like I that was a bad thing for me to do. And I feel like there are other identities that I've had that I, sh- that there has been necessitated and, like, I'm not going to be able to advocate for poor people in the future because of the way I chose not to code switch. It's a philosophical school called Pragmatic Ethics, which discusses how, like, um, it talks about how, like, groups who, like, it, like, when identities, like, argue for why I deserve rights that's not as successful as just like acting like you deserve rights mm-hmm. and it says that like when a group is saying like here's why I dissolve this that won't be as successful as just like I deserve this and this is what I get and I think that that's why like I, I, I think the gay marriage case was huge because like suddenly they had it and like they they were like I'm married this is my wife like I don't need to like, and I think that that was like that like had such a large effect on like acceptance, because like, I, I I I just remember people from when I was when I was fifteen like in my mom's church who were like, "Gay's the worst thing ever," and now it's like I love Grace and Frankie. <laughs> um, like uh, so, like it's just like it's things have. I, I I think that case specifically, cause I think like code switching is necessitated, code code switch, switching is necessitated by like by not being visible like what your code is, so you switch to a more visible code, um, but when things happen like the Supreme Court case, like a TV show, it makes that code visible and then you don't need to do it anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I I remember um, a few years ago, me and my little sister wanted to go to a pride celebration in Ann Arbor, and my mom was asking, like, if you want to be treated the same, why do you need to make such a big deal out of these indivisible identities? Um, Which I thought was really interesting, and I think is kind of ties into that with how we want to celebrate who we are, but if, like, if we acknowledge the fact that we're code switching and that there are distinct differences, then we're acknowledging the fact that there's inequality and that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely, that ties into the intersectionality of all of our identities. Like a gay man who is a person of color or is trans would experience like a lot of different issues than that are not related to being gay, yeah. but may be compounded by being yeah. gay. Um, yeah, so I think, like, code switching definitely gets very complicated when you consider the intersectionality of identities, which obviously we all <laughs> encompass intersectional identities. Yeah. Thanks for your chat with me, Sam. Yeah, th- thank
1: you so much for the time. This was this was very interesting uh, to hear, like, the opposite side of, like, from this community. Uh, Yeah. It's a good conversation. I thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was Desi and Sam. Thanks for listening. In our next episode, we'll hear from the producers of the podcast about their conversations and discussions surrounding code switching during the process of producing this series. Tune in next week. Thank you for listening to In My Shoes, a podcast about different perspectives on shared experiences across the University of Michigan campus. In My Shoes was produced with the support from the University of Michigan Center for Academic Innovation. This episode was edited by Ellie Daftor. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. For updates on the most recent episodes, follow us on Twitter at In My Shoes.